welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection or sometimes a guest's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. Lindsay, I think we have a special guest today. I'm pretty sure there's a very special guest at our house right now. My cousin <laughs> Paul Fisher in the house, everybody. <laughs> hey guys. Thanks. Big fan of the show, Paul Fisher, probably one of our biggest fans. Yeah, uh, friend of the pod, uh, longtime listener, first time talker. Um, we've wanted to have Paul on here for a long time because almost always when we post an episode, we'll hear from him same day with his <laughs> thoughts. If we ever if we ever miss something on one of these movies, like I remember on Lost Boys, you. Just, you Texted me something like, you you didn't mention the weird vampire feet and they're hanging uh-huh. upside down. I was like, yeah, you're right, we didn't. Always wanting to call us out. Although sometimes it's, uh, you know, listening to your guys' podcast that then prompts me to listen to the movie or watch the oh. movie for the first time. Well, and speaking of discovery, um, you're introducing a movie to at least Lindsay. I've never seen this And before. I may as well have never seen it because I remember... <laughs> Us, um, our Albertsons had a video rental section, and I mostly remember the cover of this movie, but I do remember renting it once, and much like the fever dream that it sort of is, there's little bits and pieces, like an outfit that LL Cool J wears, and the, um... The sewer swine? What is that thing <laughs> oh, called? Uh, well, have we said the amphibious name? Amphibious swine? Um, no. Well, what is this movie, Paul? Yeah, what... So we're watching Toys, a 1992 film with Robin Williams, Robin Wright, Michael Gabon. Is that even Yeah. Uh, best often known as uh, Dumbledore, Dumbledore the Second. Dumble, Dumbledore the Second. Uh, the not as good Dumbledore. Whoa. Yeah, yeah and I, I happen to agree. Uh, LL Cool J, as was already mentioned. Yes, Joan Cusack yeah. is in it. And also uh, in special a bit guest role. appearance by Jamie Foxx. <laughs> yes, before he was famous. Um, there's a few people uh, sort of sprinkled in here. Um, like Yeardley Smith, who voices Lisa Simpson, has a tiny, mm-hmm. tiny role in this. Um, but Paul, we're always curious uh, when a guest <laughs> brings in a tape, what is your history with this movie? Yeah, so I think... Uh, I was probably also drawn to the box as a kid, uh, but as opposed to maybe your one rental, I think I probably rented this movie like 20 times at least. It's interesting that you liked it as a kid. I'm assuming that I didn't like it or I just didn't really register because I only saw it the one time and I only have these very like fractured memories of it. The, something that sort of struck all of us was that, like, who is this movie for? Because <laughs> it's... A little too juvenile for adults, but like way too mature and weird for kids and like dark. Yeah. Despite it being very bright and colorful, it's a very dark movie. But some of the weirdness maybe works for a really young kid, like the surrealism. If it didn't scare you, then maybe it's just really intriguing. Yeah. And, you know, probably at the same time I would have been watching this, I would have been watching Beetlejuice and The Addams Family, which have sort of those really dark elements to it yeah there's definitely a little bit of a tim burton vibe mm-hmm. but that's always cut with like this really loony you know danny elfman score whereas the let's talk about the music in this movie because it's mostly i mean there's a Hans zimmer score that's really weird 
And then there's all these like there's like Enya on the soundtrack. <laughs> like who who all is on the soundtrack? Enya it's... comes out for the dad's funeral. Yeah. Like yeah. when they're doing the funeral <laughs> procession, suddenly Enya is playing, and it's like, yep, yeah, this is 1992. Um, although we are getting ahead of ourselves because Paul, you did have some ads on oh, this VHS. I sure tape. did. I it took me, you know, I was typing about as fast as I could. And I didn't even capture all the films that were. As you, part of it like looks the, like you got a lot of them there. <clears throat> yeah. So I mean, there were there were like the feature films or theatrical trailers. So Once Upon a Forest, that we all sort of remembered seeing, but I don't know. I like, have no memory of seeing that. Is that a I, Don Bluth or a? Uh... I can't remember. I just know that I've seen that movie. Yeah. I and think I, I saw all of the environmentalist nineties movies yeah it's definitely of a piece with fern gully which was also one of the films and then the sort of fox um the super 21st century weird you know overlay with what there was another weird musical choice there it was a really serious (laughs) heartfelt song from fern gully they even advertised the fern gully soundtrack at the end Mm -hmm. but then they're cutting it with all these different comedies yeah random bits from interviews of people yeah, so just saying one word lines like war you neglected to mention that there is a, a teaser for a watch and wear uh thing that happens right at the beginning of this tape so that ad after the credits for the oh. sort of like it was teased <laughs> right at the beginning catalog. of the tape yeah. and as a child, I never would have watched anything after, like, the second the credits start to roll. So I never would have made it to that or the weird flying elephant scene at the end also. Uh, so, yeah, at the very end of the movie, there's a trailer which tells you, you know, it both shows all the different 20th, 21st century Fox clothing that you can buy and how to calculate you know the taxes that need to be added on depending on which state you're in and you say yeah and you say 20th century fox clothes like literally it'll be a black shirt with just that logo on it or like a denim shirt with the logo of course sean's commentary was just like who would wear that well and go to the trouble of calculating i mean i guess that's the only way you could order stuff at this time but yeah that's the way you had to do it if you're ordering from a catalog or anything and directions on where to send your check or i guess there were directions how to include a credit card number too yeah but you had to get in your order by 1993. <laughs> yeah, it was my birthday, September 7th. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, yeah, that montage ad was so tonally weird because they had that really sentimental, soft, sweet music, and then they have clips from like Home Alone, yeah, where the guys are getting hit by bank <laughs> Yeah, Home Alone, Young Frankenstein, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I think it started with. Edward Scissorhands, or at well, least that's when I first started, you know, jackhammering away you know, the keys, trying to keep up. You mentioning Commando reminded me of the craziest thing about this ad, where there are people on the street, interviews <laughs> with people, and I guess they just ask them, hey, what do you like about movies? Yeah. Just the general idea of movies. And there's, at one point, there's this guy, like, wrestling with his kids, kind of, and he's just kind of like, I like the violence, yeah. and it cuts to that part in Commando. Actually, a lot of Tapeheads movies in this uh, Fox ad. Hmm. It's just like that part in Commando where he has a four-barreled rocket launcher, <laughs> and then it cuts to a, 
woman saying, oh, I like Point Break. I love Keanu Reeves. (laughs) Which uh, has aged very well, that comment. And, well, they don't even show a clip of Keanu in the clip of Point Break that they show. It's Patrick Swayze, like, you know, uh, parachuting out of the plane. So, Paul, for those that aren't familiar with uh, Toys from 1992. The epic classic. The epic classic. If, so, you, if you had to just pitch this movie. <laughs> well, hopefully I would do a better job than apparently the director did. Since in that featurette we watched, uh, none of the actors had any idea what the movie was it about. It was a super cut of like Michael Gambon, uh, Robin Williams, all going... I don't really know what it's about. Yeah, I could <laughs> like, tell you. Wait, that's actually what they were saying. This is yeah. a part of a officially sanctioned, uh, like from the from like it was from like that time when it came out. It was like oh, an official God. piece of marketing where all the actors are like, "Yeah, I don't know what it's about," <laughs> which is funny because it's not that hard to follow. It just filled with a lot of crazy stuff. Why would you release that? <laughs> I, it seemed like they just didn't know how to market this movie, but. Okay, toys. What's it about, Paul? Yeah, so Robin Williams' character, Leslie Zevo, uh, is the son of a toy maker who owns, I guess, Zevo Toys. So his father dies, and rather than leaving the toy factory and toy company to his son and daughter, played by Joan Cusack, Alsatia, who he thinks are maybe a little too immature at this point and aren't ready to take on the helm of this toy company... He instead leaves it to his brother, uh, General Zevo <laughs> Leland, played by Michael Gabon, yeah. who, you know, totally redirects the toy company from making these benevolent, fun, kid-oriented toys to war toys. With uh, the help of his son. <laughs> with the help of his son, Patrick Zevo, played by LL Cool J. Anyway, so he totally, you know, reorients the mission of Zevo Toys to make war toys and this is sort of him trying to you know i guess live up to the expectations of his father who you know very early establishes that he's a four-star general and general (laughs) zevo only has three stars because he has a special spotlight that shines right on his epaulets they really show that the dad (laughs) is a dick Yeah. yeah yeah and lives in like a Sort of what's made out to look like a medic military tent, but is, you know, inside of their home. I think the craziest thing with the dad is when the dad's trying to give him advice and it's just like, well, if you don't, you can't really keep going in the army, (laughs) just go to the other side. You can't switch sides, you old fool. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, another key to understanding this movie, I think, is that it's in this very surreal, larger than life world. Where kind of anything can happen to yeah. a degree. It's not mm. our reality at all. And it's in the extremes. And you kind of have two extreme sides warring against each other. The the war army lovers and then the toy lovers. Hmm. And that, yeah, that juxtaposition yeah. comes out. And they, they do a really good job at different times of framing the different dialogue. So once General Zivo has taken charge, but before, you know, sort of the whole mission has been changed... Um, you know, he's having a conversation with his son, LL Cool J, uh, about, you know, bringing on Leslie to sort of, uh, you know, keep your enemies close or keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And, you know, they sort of set that up. And then meanwhile, uh, Leslie Robin Williams character is having a conversation with his sister and, you know, sort of says to the counterpoint of that, 
you know, keep true to your friends like friends and true to your enemies like enemies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the sheep has to dress or sometimes you have to dress up like a sheep to play with the wolves, something like that. It's like they're they're setting <laughs> yeah. up sort of these very yeah, contrasting no, yeah. ideologies. Yeah. This is one of the things that I remember is this Christmas play that opens yes. the movie. Yeah, the Christmas play is super memorable and of incredibly high production and only serves to sort of, I think, establish the innocence of this world in yeah. the very beginning. So before you even see that, there's like just 30 seconds of silence and sort of toy sounds mm-hmm. in the background, which I love. Um, and then, yeah, you're sort of transplanted into this miniature model of Manhattan um, where there's snow raining down and, you know, kids are doing sort of a ballet and it's, mm-hmm. you know, Christmas time. And... Like weirdly melancholy Christmas music. Yes. It's, it sort of begins this trend of like Enya and Enya type <laughs> music. But I think that's the thing that's interesting is like it's this movie called Toys. It's about people in a toy factory, but it's kind of adult and art. it's very artsy, artistic, kind of high-minded, mm-hmm. str- like strokes. And the play, I think, is kind of a perfect representation of so much of what they do in that film because there's so much attention to detail and getting every little detail lovingly right. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how small a thing it is that it's just like this bit at the beginning to kind of set up the feel of it. They just put so much into it. It's crazy. And then from that melancholy music, you know, sort of one solo singer emerges who's then joined by this children's choir. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, all of a sudden one guy's banging out this sort of more upbeat tune on a triangle and it totally switches into like this Christmas party. Mm -hmm. Um, Santa's throwing presents out of an airplane that are parachuting down. The airplane thing (laughs) is a little foreshadowing for later in the movie. Yeah. There was an Italian kind of like creative designer who came in and did all the set work. And so that's where you have that kind of strange modernist dadaist sensibility coming from yeah because you know periodically they'll show these clips of what the toy factory looks from the outside and it's sort of a jumble of rainbow colored cubes Mm -hmm. stacked on top of each other which is also captured in a snow globe which is very There's cool. a lot of elephant imagery. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if the Zevos are Republicans or something. <laughs> well, General Zevo General definitely Zevo is. is. I, but, think, uh, uh, I think the elephant is from their mascot, like the logo that they use for the company. So I don't know if maybe their first toy was an elephant toy or we something. We definitely see elephant mm. toys. There's, sort of elephant. There's a giant elephant, even before the grave marker that's also an elephant <laughs> <laughs> that flies. Uh it's like Boiler. shooting snow and bubbles out of its trunk onto the toy factory. Yeah. Their energy consumption is like through the roof at Zevo Toys. General Zevo is arriving at the toy factory. Uh, he takes the the moving staircase to the office <laughs> yeah. of his brother Kenny, who's, whose office overlooks the Christmas pageant. Um, and who is basically laying out that he doesn't feel Leslie's ready to inherit the toy factory yet, and that instead he wants General Zevo to take the reins. And then he's got this weird propeller hat, which I know at the time I was really obsessed with those propeller hats because of that film, and then also Calvin and Hobbes. There's like a mm-hmm. particular comic. 
um, with with the propeller hat, which is tied to his heart and sort of an indication that his heart is failing. Yeah. So like you think he dies actually when the propeller stops and he face plants. Uh, yeah. Um, but then he's revived and you know talking with his. Consigliere, I guess. Uh, the same actor who plays Toodles, Owen Owens. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and who I think at that point then lays out, um, you know, he wants let, uh, General Zevo to take over because he thinks the conflict will sort of uh, bring Leslie to rise to the challenge. And I think, you know, yeah. you know, he really enjoys the toy making, but I don't think he has sort of the mind for sort of the larger vision mm. and guiding the toy factory into the future. Being I, a leader and making yeah. hard yeah. choices and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. When the <laughs> propeller beanie stops, he says, it's whimsical, Leland, and then face plants <laughs> into his desk. And so, yeah, then immediately after we're at the, we're at the graveyard or yeah, the cemetery. Um, I, I, this is, so this is, I guess, our first introduction to Leslie, who, let's talk about Leslie as a character for a little bit, because... <laughs> I was really imagining this would be like a Robin Williams vehicle. It would mostly be about his character. Mm-hmm. But it really is, like you were saying, Lindsay, when we were watching it, it's kind of more of an ensemble. And Leslie, at least for me, isn't a super likable character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you'll get into why you feel that way. But it does. it is definitely an ensemble. Like, LL Cool J really stands oh, out. He's he is so good. He He's, shines yeah. in this, and so does Joan Cusack. Uh-huh. Those are the two strongest, and definitely. Robin Williams, um, in reviews at the time, people were saying that he seemed like he was phoning it in. And I don't think he was phoning it in. He was trying to do something a little bit more understated, but mm. still silly. Yeah, he still has some room to do some improv stuff here and there, but a lot less manic than some of his other stuff from this time. I mean, like, this is the same year as The Genie and Aladdin. Mm -hmm. And the year after Hook. But yeah, this funeral scene is our first introduction to Leslie and his uh, sister, uh, played by Joan Cusack. What's the sister's name? Alsatia. Alsatia. Yeah. I mean, you know throughout the film something's not quite right with her. You think, okay, maybe, you know, she has some sort of mental disability, but you're, you're, it's totally unclear. Yeah. I don't know if we want to give away what her deal is now. I mean, I guess we could, because it sort of (laughs) changes the whole lens through which you look at the movie. Yeah. Um, But she's a robot. She's a robot, which you... Yeah, it turns out Robin Williams' dad made him so he wouldn't be lonely as yeah. an only child. But what's funny is it's one of those twists that happens so late in the movie that it doesn't really affect the story at all. And no. you, it almost didn't need it, I would say. Yeah, um, they almost could have just had her as a strange human. Yeah, yeah. I almost like would have preferred that. But it is kind <laughs> of adds to the weirdness of the movie mm-hmm. that she's like this perfect android that and we just it just kind of thrown off at the end like that little cool jay is like oh yeah i thought it was weird that you never aged yeah like he had no idea for like you know the entire period of them growing up together yeah. but leslie her brother knows which i think is the important part yeah. like it would have been yeah. it would have been pretty dramatic and maybe kind of ridiculous if mm-hmm. he was suddenly like oh mm-hmm. my god you're a robot yeah which, which speaks to like you know they have a, a perfectly human relationship like it's not 
there isn't sort of any boundary or artificial barrier. Mm-hmm. I was at this point in the movie. Um, I mean, we could talk more about Leslie later, uh, especially when Robin Wright's character gets involved. But it was at this point <laughs> in the movie that I was expecting the, there to be a little bit more of a power struggle. But I think probably, thankfully, there isn't just so we can keep things moving. I was thinking that Leslie would be really hurt that his dad gave the company to this, like, arch general instead of him. But he kind of just goes with the flow and they're instantly, like, touring the toy factory and, like, getting him up to speed. I think it's because he's kind of childish and naive, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess it's part of the whole thing that he needs this conflict to sort of grow up a little bit. You know, if his father had lived or if General Zevo had been, you know, a benevolent character, like, he would have been happy to have just, you know, continued making toys and mm-hmm. not have taken on, you know, a greater leadership role. Um, but this toy factory, just, like, another incredible set. <clears throat> like, these, I there, I think it's mostly just these giant heads that are spitting <laughs> out dolls. Yeah. Oh, well, was this the Tori Amos song yeah. that was happening? Like, just the crazy, like... Choosing the least likely song in every scene. I think that's part of what makes this film yeah. such a bizarre experience. You know, this was a lot of the complaint that we had about the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Although I kind where... of like this, though, as the I different think, thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I yeah. think the, the music seems mismatched, but somehow it kind of adds to the weird, surreal vibe of this. Yeah, because normally like you'd expect like... Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Danny Elfman, like really whimsical music. But like what you're seeing is whimsical, but the music at times is like deadly serious. Like at the like the Enya track or like or just like very much like pop music that was popular in that moment. Like this is almost like a time capsule musically. And maybe that's just because they're also trying to sell a soundtrack of all these songs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes the characters are interacting with the music mm-hmm. in in the story rather than the music being sort of just for our benefit. Yeah. So, you know, when you're when they're taking the tour of the toy factory and these giant robot heads are spitting out different parts, then you see whether it be the janitor or the people assembling the different toy parts, they're, you know, sort of dancing and moving and this is a fun place to work yeah. and they're having a blast. You know, Robin Williams appears, he jo- sort of joins the tour midway, and he's wearing this smoking jacket, like, you know, sort of a, a literal, a, a, yeah, a literal smoking jacket. And that's clear where he's just riffing, like he's just making it up as he goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at this point in the movie, I, I was a little like, what is this? Like, I wasn't quite, I mean, I was, I was into what, like, what Joan Cusack was doing. I was a little confused by what Robin Williams was doing. But in my opinion, I think the movie really comes alive when uh, General Zevo says, I got to bring in my son for this. And what a great introduction for a character. I mean, and like, what an amazing character. Like, uh, what was the setup for this scene where they're they're at the living room of their house? Yeah, so they they live in sort of this dollhouse brought to life. And they, Joan Cusack's character even has a dollhouse of their own house. So it's... Very meta in that way, yeah. but they're they're waiting around for for Patrick Zevo to arrive because of uh, is that after the espionage conversation maybe? Yeah, I mean yeah. he um I basically you get the sense that the general's really bored with everything. He's not interested in this and 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 in making toys. It's not really what he wants to be doing. He had already had this long discussion with his father to figure out you know what should I really be doing, but the dad's shitty and not very supportive, <laughs> but. 
essentially it comes down to when he finds out that other companies have stolen their information, stolen their plans for toys. Some somebody's leaking all of it. Mm. Then he gets excited because it's like this is the thing I'm into. Yeah. I want to find someone and destroy them for what they're doing. No yeah. leaks allowed. Gives him th- something to latch on to that sort yeah. of he understands from his his previous world. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so then they're they're at dinner waiting for the sun to arrive who's going to come and plug the leak. Um Joan Cusack's character says, you know, I'm hungry, I'm ready to eat now, but they're they're waiting. And then you just hear sort of this voice from somewhere say, all right, then let's eat. And then <laughs> Cool J's character explodes out of the couch wearing sort of this pink floral camo that matches the couch. He's got, he's, yeah, he's got a pillow strapped to his back. And this is a running thing because LL Cool J is a commando. He's yes. always in training, 100%. <laughs> and uh, he's even got, like, oh, he's so good in this. Like, <laughs> like this honestly, a, oh. I'm curious if there was ever, like, this sounds crazy, but I'm curious if there was ever Oscar talk for <laughs> LL Cool J in this movie. Because right from the get-go, he's so committed. He's this, like, if you had played it to be funny, like, if he was trying to make jokes, which I feel like a lot of... Like, I imagine he hadn't had a lot of acting experience before this, but because he plays it so dead straight and committing to this, like, yeah, this is the mission. Like, that's just makes it... All of the comedy, like, I feel like all of his lines land, which is very hard to do, in a way that Robin Williams doesn't, really, in my opinion. Yeah, LL Cool J definitely shines. Yeah, And this is a family favorite scene that my mom talks about all the time, and we reference not infrequently. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Just because it's so memorable. Like, a great character introduced in a great way, exploding out of a couch. And then his, you know, dad gives sort of this textbook definition of camouflage and, you know, surveilling Uh the enemy. He's like, 100% dad. Then they they embrace (laughs) after sort of this, like, self-congratulatory moment of, like, yeah, we're military people. Yeah. This is what we do. We're different from these toy makers. I mean, you just see a different side of General Zevo because you finally yeah. see this kind of loving relationship that he has with his son, and it's so endearing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's because they share interests, I think, is yeah. a big part of it. I mean, there's another great scene when they're driving home from dinner. I think it's right after this. Yeah. Where they're talking about something, and then LL Cool J just leaps out of the car and runs off into a dark field. Yeah. And the, the dad is just so proud because he's always in training. Yeah. He's he like, you don't know where you are. We're miles away from home. That's the point. Yeah. He, like, zips up his jacket and just bails out the side. Yeah. Ugh. Uh... Yes, great character, great performance. I think it's a testament to the character, too. Like, one of the things that I remember is that outfit, that kind of, like, fascistic outfit that he wears. Like, well, all of the sort of troopers wear that when they're starting to seize control of the toy company, where it's just, like, this weird gold sash and, like, a beret. And it's, like, I don't know. He just wears all these crazy clothes really well. Yeah, the colors of their uniform are sort of black and burgundy and not uh I mean, it, it's very intentionally i think invoking or evoking you know nazi regalia yeah, yeah there's definitely some orwellian stuff like some animal farm mm. type themes in this too uh and if it sounds like a lot is packed into this movie already <laughs> then you're right there's it a is, lot yeah it is two hours and ten minutes yeah it's pretty long yeah like, and there and there's all just like a lot crammed into those two hours like it I commented after it was over just how, like, I mean, 
I mean, it was enjoyable to watch, but you're also just exhausted afterward. It's just mm. like, it's because it just throws all these crazy set pieces and all these crazy characters at you. And like each scene has something memorable about it. Before LL Cool J leaps out of the car, he and his dad are having this conversation, which I think we alluded to earlier, you know, sort of, you know, we're bringing on Leslie, even though we might go in this war toy direction, but, you know, you've got to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Meanwhile, that is then juxtaposed with uh, Robin Williams' character putting Alsatia to bed in this sort of weird duck manger thing that sort of then encapsulates her at night. And it's like, oh, but, you know, you've got to keep treat your friends like friends and your enemies like enemies. Yeah. And also there's this other throwaway line from the dinner where, you know, why why didn't they ever make war toys before? And it's war, war toys. <laughs> yeah, war is the domain of the small penis. Yeah. yeah. And that's what they were saying their dad always said. Yeah. So essentially the brother was talking shit yeah. about his dad and brother. Yeah. And the dinner scene is interesting because you see different comedic styles where on one side of the table, you have the military people. Mm. LL Cool J holding his own with this, I imagine, classically trained British actor, Michael Gambone. And they're both approaching the material like pretty deadpan and doing a really good job with it. And then on the other side of the table, Robin Williams and Joan Cusack are really trying to like push the comedy of the scene mm-hmm. because they're kind of crazier characters. And, you know, it struck me in this scene, like, I like what Robin Williams is doing. I mean, like, he's got the bit with the magnetized deviled egg mm-hmm. that he's, like, moving around. And it's, like, this whole bit that he does. And he's just dribbling red wine yeah. all over his, his, his white, red... his white, you know, collared shirt. Mm-hmm. The red wine dribbling was really funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, but it did strike me that it always feels like Robin Williams in this movie is going for the laugh. And he's, like, really trying hard to get the laugh. Whereas the... Uh, the L Cool J stuff just works. Oh. I mean, part of it's the writing, I imagine, but also just, uh, man, I just gotta sing the praises of this performance, <laughs> Oscar-worthy performance. <laughs> but yeah, what what happens next? Because I guess they start the takeover of the company. Yeah. So then you know the there's the rock music. You're starting to see the you know fascistic military uniforms the inside the toy factory they've erected barbed wire and sandbags and you know they've everybody gets id badges that they're scanning and keeping track of people um you know they have sort of their first meeting with you know the the designers who've sort of brought their first attempt at making uh war toys and general zebo says this is baby shit yeah they really want, like, extremely militaristic, yeah. realistic toys. And that's in the office, you know, that at the beginning was overlooking the Christmas parade. And, you know, that at one point was sort of this office of fun and joy and color. And you can see in that moment the room is physically transforming as the sort of multicolored, playful wallpaper is stripped down, replaced by sort of these black and white robots. Yeah, which is interesting because he's wearing, um, not fatigues, but like his dress uniform throughout. And it's only when he really wants to fully take over the company that the general wears kind of bright colors and is like driving like a brightly colored jeep when he's like trying to blend in a little bit more. yeah it's like toy camo yeah and you know that's also sort of part of his own transformation of replacing sort of the insignias of military of u.s military with sort of the toy versions of yeah. 
you know what his uniform might yeah. look like so he's giving himself a fourth star but it's like i think it's like a little elephant insignia yeah. instead of a star and there's so much going on yeah uh, I was just trying to think because kind of what starts all this was hearing that there's corporate espionage sometimes. But right. that's kind of a red herring just because it's really just a means to start this takeover. Yeah. We never think, really see any... I think any... he really doesn't... He, at, at that moment, he's not necessarily intending a takeover. He gets the inspiration as he's telling them to make the war toys. And they, they do this... Um, he and his son do this tour and see uh, kids playing video games where they're shooting planes and stuff that he gets that inspiration of wait a minute what if we had toy versions of weapons that could actually hurt people and then they could be manned by these kids who've been playing video games for years and are really good at them just turn actual war into a video game war it's a very ender's game of him <laughs> well it's interesting too because he's almost predicting drones yeah and that's what's so mind-blowing about this movie is it's in 1992 and totally mm. predicts like the a future lot of, the, of how we wage war now a lot of his weirdly prescient yeah such a crazy movie yeah uh, also in that same scene where they're taking the tour of the video arcade and they're watching these kids play these different war games, he takes a turn and he's just blowing up all the UN trucks and it's sort of... <laughs> which is a know, penalty. Yeah. yeah, which is like minus a thousand mm-hmm. points, but, you know, it's sort of part of his transformation into, uh, you know, the evil... A, you know, megalomaniac arch-villain that we, we then see. Yeah, yeah what he... When he's eagerly, joyfully shooting all these UN trucks, you realize, oh, this guy's evil. Yeah, this yeah. is a bad guy. You can't really save him. He starts turning into a supervillain. So I want to go back to the first kind of that kind of takeover sequence with that great music. Yeah, that amazing, amazing piece of music that will come back later. So we meet Robin Wright's character, who I guess works the copy room. <laughs> I guess that's her job there. She, we, it's understood she's a new employee. Leslie hasn't met her yet. She's hired the day before his dad died. But that's right. she has a really nice apartment for somebody who just runs a copy machine. Yeah. Mm. I'm not, it's unclear whether or not she, that's her sole responsibility. But that's, yeah, that's where we meet her. Yeah. But um, she proceeds to be cornered by <laughs> L. Cool J. And, it, like, his gang of thugs. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh... Who are, you know, in the Zevo military, I guess. Yeah. The Zevo Toys military. And he demands that she explain, <laughs> like, wh- how copiers work. <laughs> it's clear he's never seen one before. Yeah. He sort of understands that it makes copies. Yeah. And he's got these it's, great lines. Uh, like, uh, uh, are you interfering with my duplication investigation? Or <laughs> Yeah, this duplicating taking place. That means there's more than one. Sometimes two or three. <laughs> yeah. He proceeds to, uh, they have to, he proceeds to, like, put his head into the copy machine with her and make a bunch of copies. I guess to sort of get as close a look as possible into yeah. the, the mechanism. And that's when Robin Williams appears yeah. to to save the Robin Wright character. I kind of wonder, though, like with him making copies of his face and smushing it against the glass like that, we're seeing the the softness inside. Yeah. They're kind of hinting that he's a little different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that comes out. Like, it's, it's clear, I think, throughout that 
you know, whether it be at the dinner when his mom comes up um, and, you know, he has this vulnerability to him. Um, so and, you know, that is made clear in the very next scene. So after Robin Williams rescues the Robin Wright character, whose name I don't know. She she's somewhat important in the film, but she doesn't really get to shine. She has a Texas accent. Yeah. And she is um horrifically sexually harassed by our protagonist throughout <laughs> oh, the God. movie. This did this movie did not age well in yeah. the Me Too era. Yeah, because he's like the son of the owner and now the nephew of the guy running it. He clearly has a lot of power in the business, and so he's just decided, oh, I like her. So he's like Going after her at lunch, following her around on the road, telling her that he wants—he he actually said, says he, like, yeah. "I want to get laid." Well, he he uses oh. a Satan puppet that pops <laughs> up out of nowhere that says, "I want to get laid," and then puts it away as if to say, "Ha ha." Isn't that funny? <laughs> like that's what the devil in me is thinking, but it's still him saying it. Yeah. So. Wait, really quick though, do we think that he's a virgin? Oh. Or is he had relationships with women before? He seems to know what he's doing. Like, I mean, like, the way that... I don't know. It seems like... Like, whether or not that's what they intended, it seems like he's sort of coercing her into sex. Um, that is an interesting thought, though. I hadn't really thought about that. Was there something that, that made you think that? <clears throat> just his innocence. And just that it doesn't seem like he gets out much. Like, mm-hmm. the only way that he meets her is that she happens to be at the factory. Yeah. And it does seem that... His entire family is in on it of like as far as them getting together that, you know, she was hired by his dad and, you know, she says, oh, I don't really know why he hired me. It's yeah. like an er- Dad's makes it, trying to yeah. set it up, which makes it a little even a Yeah, little it's even creepier because then it's like an arranged like marriage the sort of scenario yeah. or and June Joan Cusack's character says, oh, I'm so glad he discovered her. You know, what is, yeah. and like, isn't love wonderful mm. or something? Well, that's when she's having lunch with all Cool J, which is great because the two best characters get together for a scene together. She only, <laughs> she eats, I guess it's sort of a hint that she's a robot because she yeah. eats the weirdest foods. Yeah, mayo sandwiches that are just like full of drugs. Yeah. And she asked the chef, why do you never have an applesauce sandwich? Yeah. And he's like, are you crazy? That'd make the bread soggy. Yeah. She's like, oh, I don't mind. But that's the great, another great rant by yes. LL Cool J about how he doesn't want his food to touch. Yeah, I can't have my potatoes invade my salad. Yeah. <laughs> he wants everything sectioned off. Yeah. Uh, I need military my, style I, I need my green beans to be quarantined. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is if I had seen this as a kid, I would have been, yes, yes, yeah. exactly right. And that was something that David, my brother, would always say. And like, you know, so it's clear that this movie percolated throughout our whole family it's so interesting and and so but yeah there's this scene in that same scene joan cusack sort of she's like the truth teller because you know again as part of her android nature she's not sort of cued into the sensitivities of like oh you know maybe you only think this but don't actually say it so she's gonna have a filter yeah she says you um to the ll cool j character you know you and leslie are similar but different you're hard on the outside and soft on the inside, whereas Leslie is soft on the outside and hard on the inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's part of sort of the development, I think, of his character really to his benefit. Um, seeing that, oh, you know, maybe he's not totally in the military camp. 
Yeah. And again, like the this scene in the cafeteria makes you realize like what an ensemble movie this is. Whereas the cover would lead you to believe like mm. Robin Williams is this Willy Wonka type figure who's going to take us through his crazy toy factory and he's going to be very much the focus. But there are long stretches where Leslie isn't even in the movie and it's mm-hmm. just focusing on Michael Gambon's relationship with his son and... Or it'll just go off on like a Joan Cusack uh, tangent. And those are, I mean, that's great. I think that that's, I mean, when Robin Wright comes in, it sort of becomes more about their relationship, which is a little weird. Um, but it is it is interesting, to, like when you look at the cafeteria scene where it's cutting between these two conversations and they both seem to be equally important. And also I think that serves later when there's a subsequent lunch scene that isn't quite so innocent Mm -hmm. um and that's you know very much uh you know the war faction of the toy making company is is winning Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. general zevo and his son go to the toys uh the arcade and then the toy store and they're looking at what the competition is doing with the war toys and then they're having sort of this campfire scene and that's when uh, Michael Gambon has like this big exposition about you know his vision for the future of warfare, um, and you know basically says everything except drones. Um, but you know whereas you know where the perversion is is that the kids don't know that they would be killing people. Yeah, even though in in reality they are. So they're, yeah, they're just using the kids, which I I don't know. Maybe it's. It's messed up all the way around, but maybe not yeah. telling the kids that's what they're doing is yeah. helpful. But then it, you kind of understand that there's something really seedy and bad about it and how it's having an impact on the kids because they seem so zoned out when mm. Robin Williams sees them later actually shooting when they're acting out this whole military kind of vision and the kids are saying that they're getting points for killing people, mm-hmm. which was something that they wouldn't have allowed in their games before. Yeah. And, yeah, and again, like, that's when Michael Gambon's, like, um, megalomania is, like, really, you know, it really comes out when he's sort yeah. of, like, calling himself the greatest military genius ever, and he's going <laughs> to create the littlest armada known to man, and... You know, toy sizes with lethal fighting power and... Yeah, and that campfire scene's important because I think it's the turning point where it's it really becomes clear that he's, like, he's not just making war toys, which might be a good move for this factory. It seems to be <laughs> overspending on all these, like, insane <laughs> things, like a smoking jacket that would never be sold to kids. Or a VR helmet, which yeah. is also crazy. Yeah, they they bring they bring in the VR a few times, and I kept expecting it to pay off. It's just kind of another color in the movie. But I was kind of like rooting for General Sifo and Steven, just because Leslie, to me, I just never connected with as a character until this scene. Until it became clear, like, no, he doesn't just want to do war toys. He wants to like weaponize children to become basically drone pilots in real wars yeah yeah and also i think that's when we see the recognition in ll cool j's character Mm -hmm. that like oh maybe my dad isn't you know the the greatest person i've ever known and like Mm -hmm. you know he's sort of starting to question his hero worship this is when the the takeover really kicks into high gear because now that he's got this plan yeah (laughs) restricted is on every door um 
they're t- like if first he requests just a little bit of space, but then that becomes a lot of space. Yeah, it just extends and extends and extends to the point that they're just they're actually literally in a room working. Robin Williams and his other people figuring out the best kind of. <laughs> fake barf they could make mm-hmm. and they're having to climb up on the table because the walls are closing in on them that's a great scene yeah, it really is um it just speaks to like how much time and money went into this movie where there's these really comp like they'll go so far just for a joke like that seemed really involved like bringing in little panels of the wall one at a time well, they're having this extended conversation about, oh, I like this fake vomit because, and then, and then also like commenting on how they wish they had more budget to a lot to the like fake vomit department. It's like, like, oh, we can't even afford peas and carrots anymore. Yeah. Or the one guy who's like, yeah, I know that this is a white dude's vomit. I want to see some, you know, this is ethnocentric vomit. I want to see some diversity. Yeah, uh, as the walls are sort of collapsing in in like Tetris tile patterns, yeah. it almost looked like a dangerous scene to film because there's really no cuts in there. Like, there's a certain point where all the actors just kind of leap onto the table as the parts. I mean, maybe the the wall pieces weren't as heavy as they looked, but they were probably really lightweight. Yeah, yeah. But you're made to feel the danger. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but I mean, and they're all sort of going about their conversation. They're like trying to still talk about the vomit while the walls are collapsing in on them and they're like offhandedly commenting like oh is it getting tighter in here but and that sort of speaks i think to the larger changes in the toy factory where you know the big changes are happening maybe more gradually and you know nobody's stepping up to prevent uh the takeover the military takeover of the toy factory and changing of the vision and mission yeah i mean leslie keeps commenting that he'll say something he'll say something oh tomorrow yeah oh later i'll say something so he's just not willing to stand up to his uncle you know and then after that that's when sort of in the same style the cafeteria is collapsing in on them but that's so much more dramatic yeah there's so many people there and things are getting knocked over and broken and you can see sort of fear and I had this impression, too, that I was thinking people will leave. Like, mm-hmm. people won't continue to work here because of this. But, I mean, that's probably what they want anyway. I, I think the whole movie had been, all, all, like, sort of flirting with this sort of dystopian thing up to this point. But that's when it gets really dark. But yet, yet it remains, like, really brightly lit and garish looking. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, is another interesting thing about this movie. There isn't really, like, a shift in the look of the movie. Well, I guess the end is a little darker. Yeah, toward but... the end it's yeah. a lot darker. But this leads to one of the most needlessly complicated sequences. This break-in. <laughs> the MTV break-in. So, they have what starts as a great plan, in my opinion, <laughs> where... I mean, I mean, like a great movie plan where they move a panel in front of security. Like there's there's surveillance cameras everywhere now, and they move this panel to sort of make it look like it's the end of the hallway to trick the uh, security people. But they take it a step further by sticking an MTV logo onto one of these screens that they're looking at. The security screen. And then yeah. performing this long, like talking heads ripoff video. <laughs> Where I'm assuming it's Robin Williams doing the singing, but he sounds a lot like the lead singer of Talking Heads. Uh, it's this whole thing where uh, it's they, like 
it, it, the original plan would have worked, but instead they're doing this yeah. overly elaborate thing. I mean, I guess it's, it makes sense for his character that he has to do something way crazier. And it's something fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. He wanted to have fun with it. Like, they had to make all these complicated props to remake the music video. Because it's him and his sister Alsatia, played by Joan Cusack. Yeah, and, exactly. I mean, it's so elaborate. And the, you know, the music video that we're sort of experiencing along with the security guards who are also sort of similarly captivated and taken in and not sort of seeing the ruse for what it is it's so wild i mean so that scene goes on unnecessarily long i mean it's almost like a five minute sequence where you know they could have just deployed the fake backdrop that looks like the the full hallway and then left it at that yeah but um what's funny is this plan is contingent on the security guards not noticing that this thing has been stuck on because they don't figure it out until the MTV logo falls off. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, that screen isn't designated for watching MTV. It's designated for the hallway. Yeah. Which they should have known already, but it's sort of a fun cartoonish thing. And then they, you know, they hit the alarm and there's a chase sequence. So I mean, but before that, Robin Williams you know, ducks out of the back of the music video and then discovers all these monitors where these kids are playing war games. Yeah. Um, you know, they're sort of sitting in these seats where they're, you know, they can sort of rock back and forth and they've got joysticks and they're controlling helicopters and gatling guns and gun arrays and, you know, gunning down people. And that's when he says, you know, how many points do you get for killing a person? And the yeah. kid says a thousand. Yeah. And it's interesting because they've got these kind of uh, almost like flat screens that are C-shaped in mm-hmm. front of each of the kids. So they're suggesting this advanced technology that they're using for them to interact with. Prior to this, we'd seen like buses full of kids arriving. <laughs> like they'd been hiring kids, it seemed like. Yeah. And which points to, you know, Robin Williams had tried to confront his uncle a number of times before that, you know, before he sort of discovers for himself the war games because he didn't have access to the restricted areas. And, you know, he's saying, he confronts him and he says, but I saw children. What what, what were the, these children doing here? He says, oh, no, 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 you were looking from up high. You know, they just look small because <laughs> of the angle. And it's like, he's just gaslighting him at this point. <laughs> It's a great bit. Yeah. But he didn't want to confront him, so he just rolled with it. Yeah, yeah. And he allows himself to be, you know, convinced a number of times until, you know, he and Robin Wright's character are on a date in the Manhattan model, you know, and they've got sort of this little horse-drawn carriage toy that brings them champagne. And then a a bulldozer steams through the wall (laughs) and they're sort of talking about, oh, yeah, you know, we'll put more tanks or whatever in here. Now, after the security guards having figured out the MTV ruse, you know, they hit the button that triggers the alarm and there's this chase scene. And this is one of, Sean, one of the scenes that you remember the most vividly and me, you too. Whenever I would think of this movie, like really the one thing besides that one outfit that LL Cool J wears and the cover of the VHS, of course, is this sea swine, they call it, where it's it's very like reminiscent of the trash compactor scene in star wars Mm. where the first star wars where he falls into this murky water and the realization that there's some sort of creature in there 
Um, and I guess it's a robot too, but at the, it really seems like an organic creature that is trying to kill him. You never get a really good look at it to understand why it's called sea swine. Yeah, which lends to its like mysteriousness, mm-hmm. and it's for me as a child, you know, it was really scary. Um, that was one of those scenes that I knew, you know, I could sort of anticipate and feel coming yeah. and, you know, would feel scared and nervous for Robin Williams' character. Yeah, I mean, it's an effective scene. I mean, it's uh, it's claustrophobic mm-hmm. and um, much like that trash compactor scene, like the idea of one being trapped in this in, like in well. water. Yeah, it really feels like a well. And then like, w- like already you feel trapped, but knowing that there's something in the water just heightens it that much more. And this is sort of like the breaking point for L. Cool J, mm-hmm. where he realizes, man, my dad is totally messed up, and I am not like him, and I am not with him because he's trying to save his cousin, and uh, while his dad is egging on the monster and saying, no, let's leave it as is. I want to see what it does. I, he's able to get out somehow, I guess, through the... Bo- it's never fully explained. Yeah. There's that great scene where a random like stormtrooper uh, security guy finds wet footprints leading out of a door, and he touches it and like licks it yeah. just to make sure, oh, yes, water. Yeah. <laughs> sort of very evocative yeah. of like, almost any sort of predator yeah. or you know, tracking scene. Yeah, This leads to this... Upsetting scene at Robin Wright's apartment. Her Robin Williams just gets in through her window, balcony, something. Yeah. He, I think he knocks, of, at least. On yeah. The window, maybe. But uh, instead of like entering the building like a normal person. And he's sopping wet, and she asks if it's raining outside. And he says, Oh, there's, there's showers predicted for later, which doesn't answer her question <laughs> as to why he's so wet. Um, yeah, this is the scene where they hook up and... You know, she's into it, though. She yeah. is. I just don't buy their chemistry, I think, is my... I mean, like... They really don't There's scenes of them together. laughing together, but it's always kind of like, I don't get what she sees in him other than... I mean, like, yeah, he's funny, but he's all, his character is so creepy also. Like, I think part of it is the hair. Like, seeing yeah. Robin Williams with, like, this kind of bleach blonde hair is kind of alarming to me. You just yeah. wanted her to end up with LL Cool J. I think <laughs> I wanted Joan Cusack to end up with LL Cool J before I was positive well, that cousins. she was Oh, that's well she's a robot. Not, <laughs> that, that doesn't count. The Wait, rules were, of the rules of incest about, don't apply. You were about to say that before you found out she was a robot, <laughs> you were rooting for them. I forgot that they're cousins. I just was thinking of their characters. Um <laughs> Well, they look so similar. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they look identical. How could but, you get that messed up? Um, but this related. is a this is I think the first time that I at least noticed Jamie Foxx's character was in this scene because he and some other uh, a big part of the Zevo takeover is just sur- surveillance around the mm-hmm. clock, surveillance vans, um, sending little toy surveillance cameras into Robin's Robin Wright's apartment. Well, that's dressed up like a person. Yeah, like he's <laughs> got like a trench coat. Yeah, like a traditional like like flasher basically, and um, and they're trying to they want to see them having sex. Like, yeah, the guys are freaking out because the toy accidentally got covered, so they don't with have a the bra. Video. Yeah, and then the bra slingshots the toy out through the window yeah. onto the street where that's, it gets rolled over by a car. Yeah, that's pretty great. But um. Is that also the, 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 because they call up LL Cool J during that sequence, and there's another great bit of misdirection where 
you see what you think are hit like it's in the men's room and you think oh, you see his yes. feet in the stall, but then he emerges from a different stall that didn't have feet under it, and he has fake legs. Yeah, a couple stalls. And he like down. rolls up and like tucks into his go bag. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's you know after he finishes on the toilet, you're you're looking from outside the stall and you see his feet like pop down. So he must have had his feet like up on yeah. the seat. But this is where I go back to the attention to detail, like yeah. the fact that they try to do this all these little things and consistently come back to some of the same ideas or character traits it it's impressive like Mm -hmm. you don't really see this kind of consistency in a lot of films so then that leads into um general zevo's pitch to the washington boys which is presumably the pentagon and i was a little confused by this scene like what exactly is he trying to get from these people and why are there all these x-ray panels (laughs) up that then jamie fox is studying yeah so you know they're general zevo uh l cool j and the crew from the pentagon are walking through sort of the the wheat field where I don't know, presumably off in the distance somewhere, you know, you've got Kenny buried, the toy factory someplace else. They sit down at this table and then the military goons erect walls around them. And they're even commenting, I mean, is all this security real, really necessary? Sort of going back to, you know, the origin story for the corruption of his spirit with the latching onto the detail of mm-hmm. corporate espionage. You know, he's trying to pitch them on buying his toys. You know, his one of his big arguments is, you know, I don't really know that he even articulates or maybe he does in passing or to a lesser degree that, you know, you're going to reduce your human cost if you're not putting human soldiers in, in jeopardy and harm, in harm's way. You know, his real argument is just how much more cost effective, you know, his toy helicopters and toy tanks yeah. will be as opposed to you know, a stealth bomber or whatever. Right. And yeah, so, you know, you're seeing, you're sort of flashing back and forth between the hu- their human forms, you know, having this conversation about, you know, you should buy, you should give me this contract, you should buy my toys. And what the military goons are watching on the outside in their, you know, surveillance van, which is all x-rays. So it's like these skeletons wearing military hats. Yeah. Yeah. Because the military hat is going to come through perfectly. Yeah, I mean, it it is really important. And it it captures sort of, I don't know, something very disturbing about that scene. Yeah. Yeah, maybe if if they were just the skeletons, I don't know, it wouldn't work as well. The addition of the guy having the clamp stuck in his body that the the surgeon left them in there. Yeah, yeah. He says, oh, yeah, I've been having some chest pains that I didn't have before. And it's just like such such a ridiculous gag to throw in, but they just had to do it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's just, it, it reminds me of like how much freedom... Barry Levinson had in directing this I guess because he was riding high on like Rain Man winning best picture but to be allowed to have these long scenes where like nothing that really like moves the plot forward happens it's more just like hey let's have gags with skeletons uh you know like I mean I guess it's I mean I guess it's important to establish that he doesn't really have the support of the government in what he's doing he's, he's almost like a paramilitary he's kind of done it all so. for nothing because the the whole idea was that he was going to change the face of war and now that's not going to happen and so unless he wages war himself yeah, yeah. because we, we didn't say that you know because the milit the guys in the pentagon don't end up 
giving him the contract or they're saying, you know, we can't give you the contract now. We have to take this back to Washington. And so he starts choking out yeah. one of the other generals or whatever, which you're seeing as an x-ray. Yeah. Which so, you know, you know, you have sort of all the emotions, negative emotions that you've now associated with General Zevo, but seeing him in this skeletal form yeah. with, the, with the military hat on is so disturbing. He's and really, powerful. yeah, he's Much really more, become a monster. Yeah, he's a villain. Yeah, like a pure true yeah. villain. He's become like a Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now mm. type character, where it's like he's completely his own, his own military at this point. Yeah, and you know, he even has this line, which is like straight out of. Realpolitik, like international affairs, war thinking. It's like the future is anarchy. And, you know, so I'm providing the solution with cheap warfare. Yeah. Pretty, pretty heady and prescient toys. Yeah. <laughs> this character. You know, that's why, you know, that's why I'm having, I'm having us uh, watch it, you know? It's, it's spooky. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, this is another family favorite scene where General Zevo, drunk off of, you know, <laughs> his rejection from the military, like literally drunk, you know, has pulled out his gun and is trying to shoot this fly in his office. Yeah. And ends up shooting his foot. <laughs> and then he has the boot on his foot for the rest of the movie. For the movie. rest of the movie, yeah. Yeah. And, uh... and that's also when LL Cool J turns on his dad is when he's sort of flirting with the nurse who cares for the grandfather. Yeah, this yeah. is the final, <laughs> this is the, the final straw. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like they ha- have had this ongoing relationship, at least like a physical relationship. And she's he's basically discovering that he's not the only generation that's hooking up with this nurse. It could be three generations. He is that he is three. Yes. The yeah. grandfather, General Zevo, and then LL Cool J. And yeah. that's the final straw. That's where he's like, you know what? No, dad, no. Which um, is a little weird to draw it there, but I guess if he's a commando, he doesn't, he filters out some of the violent tendencies. Yeah. It's another great camo appearance yes. by oh. Patrick. Uh, this this is when they're um this is back at the dollhouse. This right? is back at the dollhouse. Yeah. yeah, and they're sort of discussing the last straw has fallen, you know, it's time to intervene. They need to stop General Zebo and his corruption of Zebo toys. And so LL Cool J in sort of an orange camo or red camo maybe. It's red. Yeah, yeah, I think it's red. He's sort of blending into the, you know, very bright colored wall of the dollhouse. He turns around and he's like, he's been in this room the whole time. And they're so impressed again. Yeah, yeah. they're like, wow, wow, look yeah. at this guy. They're, Can you believe they're him? They're thrilled with him as yeah. he should be. And this leads to, I mean, really like the last half hour of the movie is this huge extended battle sequence at the toy factory um, where they're kind of like just trying to take back their their company. Yeah. There's one a goal, lot, one yeah, soul. One goal, one soul. The grandpa <laughs> sits up and just says the word war because he senses it. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like... I mean, I like all this stuff, but it is it does get a little repetitive with all the war toys coming out and shooting and like, you know, different variations of like little tanks and helicopters yeah. and the dolls. The war and... toys aren't very effective. Yeah. yeah. They don't actually do a lot of damage. I'm not that scared. And they them. have real guns yeah. and missiles. Like they're clearly like at this point 
General Zevo is like, no, I want to kill my whole family. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to kill these people because they're in the way of my new world order. You see another great LL Cool J camo in this scene where he's now in white camo to oh, blend yeah. in with sort of the white rat maze that they're wandering yeah. through of the toy factory. They show him at one point just sliding along the wall. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of blend with it. Uh-huh. And it's just so perfectly natural. Yeah. And this is, I think, when we see the full gamification of war and conflict yeah. where, you know, General Zevo is like up in his office. You know, he's sort of got like a scoreboard of like the home team and the visitors and, you know, who's winning, who's mm-hmm. racking up points by killing the other toys. Um, you know, he's sort of deploying these different military toys. Yeah. yeah. And you wonder if this is some kind of early commentary on violence in video games. Mm-hmm. It feels that way. We also see, you know, on the map that sort of they zoom in and out of, of the toy factory, it's now physically resembles a pentagon, yeah. which is like even just more explicit, just yeah. hammering you over the head with this. You know, it becomes more and more a really powerful anti-war message, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it's all about the takeover of if Zevo Toys is America and this is the rise of the military industrial complex. uh yeah, I could see that. <laughs> and there's there's no more room, you know, for us to abide this. You know, you have to intervene. You can't sort of allow this appeasement and salami mm-hmm. tactics where yeah. you, like, allow your resolve to be cut down. Yeah. And the way that all the battle stuff is cut, it really does feel like a drama or an action movie at times, even mm. though they're, like, wind-up toys, because... The music, this Hans Zimmer score is just soaring. You get elements of the hoo-ha motif. You have like this weird effect that um, like Ridley Scott uses a lot where it's a it's a slow motion that's done in uh, yeah. post-production. So it's kind of like this choppy slow motion that you see in like war movies and like Black Hawk Down is what it makes mm. me think of. And to see it in like this sort of yeah. thing is like, I'm just wondering like, was this supposed to be like a like I don't think even war movies were doing this yet. It feels like crazy, like the way that it's edited and because everything feels really heavy during yeah. this sequence. But they find all these toys and they're getting ready to wage war using their innocent fun toys. <laughs> and Robin Williams starts riffing, doing yeah. this whole inspirational speech to all the toys that don't understand a single word he's saying. And yeah. Well, everybody else is trying to actually set things up and get ready. And I was thinking, do they all just resent him right now? He's <laughs> killing time. Yeah, he's like, you know, parodying the Gettysburg Address, and he's like, you, you're wound in anger, and, um, you know, we've got to fight fire with marshmallows. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of really great lines where, yeah, I mean, it's probably just an instance of him riffing. Yeah. yeah. I think but he was given a lot of It's room. interesting, too, because there they, like, focus in on certain toys that you see later during the battle get blown up or destroyed, mm-hmm. and I think it's supposed to kind of mimic this idea of seeing a soldier go into battle and die, and that it's so devastating to see yeah. this happen. And they're the very playful toys, like the peacock or the... I don't know the the what I remember the most because it's one of the toys that survives is like the little boy who's sort of scampering with his pants down and his legs because like this little dog is pulled down his yeah, pants. Yeah, it's like it's the like... copper tone ad kind of. I think yeah. the... Alienal who didn't sell well, but yeah. we stood by you. Yeah, like, now, you yeah. now you have to pay us back. <laughs> yeah, with your life. Yeah, or the little alligator that uh-huh. opens its mouth. Yeah, and this is an, a great scene where like the hoo ha, you know, war 
soundtrack fades out and then we revisit the score from the Christmas pageant at the mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah, there's a long callback to that because Robin Williams ultimately gets into Santa's plane. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how he ultimately gains access to... Um, I guess what they were trying to do all along. <laughs> I didn't realize that until we were like 15 minutes into this battle sequence where they need to get to the control room to like blow up the master computer to yeah, stop all to... the... Yeah, and I'm not sure if LL Cool J you know, says explicitly that that's the plan when yeah. they're planning this out in the dollhouse. Maybe he did and we missed it, but... Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the plane, Robin Williams gets on the plane. He's, like, trying to make his way to crash the plane through the, you know, General Zevo's office. The helicopter's, like, got a, like a po- Swiss Army pocket knife that's yeah. trying to, like, cut the wire that suspends the helicopter. And he ends up crashing into the glass. General Zevo grabs onto him, and then they're sort of pulled out back by the plane swinging on this wire. And then the helicopter trying to trying to shoot them inadvertently blows up the control panel. That's right. That's how that yeah. all happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, shutting down all the toys. Yeah. Um, all that action is so frenzied and frenetic that I, I forgot some of those details. That that's how it happened. Yeah. Like you, before that, you see General Zebo in, in the control room and, the you know, his side is racking up the points as the tanks and the helicopters just blow all these little innocent toys out of the water. Yeah, and even we see, like, this coordinated dance of these tanks. Like, yeah. Sort of, um, almost like like the dance of the Nutcracker, sort of, like, yeah. moving in these mm. interlocking circles. Mm-hmm. That shot struck me because I, it was one of those moments where I was like, that was probably an entire day to capture that. <laughs> and it's such a fleeting moment. Like, I wonder how many shoot days this movie had. I bet it was over 100 because there's so, like, it's just dripping with detail, all of this stuff, especially during this sequence where... It'll just, like, cut to a shot of some toy, like, walking around. It's almost like each of these individual wind-up toys has its own time to shine before it explodes <laughs> yeah. into a yeah. million pieces. They all get a highlight. Yeah, yeah. and it, it really is, like, a war movie. And some of those scenes where, like, the toy is sort of wandering in a daze. Like, it's sort of shell-shocked. Mm. And then, you know, it, it meets its final doom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Joan Cusack's head gets blown yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. So after the toys have been, you know, all the bad toys have been shut down or shut down. So the the sea swine reemerges. Uh, it somehow has activated its alternative power source so that it isn't shut down with the other evil yeah, toys. Yeah, it's very yeah. Terminator too. Yeah. That's what I thought of when Arnold like is able to reactivate himself magically. And so it's sort of locking its lasers on, or its sights on Robin Williams to kill him. It's clear that it knows that he's the target. And Joan Cusack accidentally gets in the way and her head sort of shoots off or, like or a Or is she a sacrificing herself? No, it's, she's just talking and she has oh, her back that's right. She has no yeah. idea this is going to happen. Yeah, And her head just explodes off like, and it's sort of got like a, a slinky on the bottom. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a shocking moment because I had no idea she was a robot. Oh, okay. So if you didn't know, that would have been a big surprise. Yeah, I had no idea. So I was, I was totally shocked and it was interesting because it was kind of one of those oh that makes sense moments but then it's also really does it make sense yeah yeah i i could have done without that moment i kind of wanted her just to be a real person i kind of like her 
they that they repair her at the end and she's still a little off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe like more she, off than before. Oh, much more off Oh, yeah, because we didn't even say, you know, her job at the toy factory is like, she likes to dress up in the doll's clothes yeah. and sort of like clip on very weird and she has like sort of this, you know, plastic Barbie-like hair wig that sort of like is stuck on like Darth Vader's helmet she's, and like that's her job. She's wear testing the clothes for the paper dolls. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So her head blows off, um, but she's still talking. It's not like a violent, I mean, it, it is a violent death, but it, she doesn't die. The sea swine, I don't know how it's sort of programming gets messed up if it gets bonked, but then it it shoots General yeah. Zevo. In a I mean, really earlier, weird moment where it cuts to white. It, earlier in the film, they had kind of established that it was still in development mm. and it's not really ready yet. So they probably just haven't fine-tuned it. Yeah. Conveniently. You assume that General Zevo has died, but it cuts to him <laughs> in a hospital bed next to his father. With yeah. the nurse. With, With the, the nurse. nurse. And so he gets sort of a happy ending, I guess. This parade of like I don't know, like G.I. Joe action figures that are just sort of on a continuous loop. Yeah. It looks yeah. like parading in front of their beds and they're they're saluting. Yeah, he's saluting to the soldiers. He's just like imagining that he's looking and, at his yeah. own troops. I was just thinking, like, shouldn't he be in jail? Yeah. He, like for like attempted murder and all this insane stuff that he's been doing. But I yeah. guess he's at least not in charge of the company anymore. And he's probably permanently disabled from being hit by the... He does sort of seem slime. a little yeah. uh, slow on the eight ball. And that scene of him and his father saluting the military parade is juxtaposed with um, sort of the new... The Christmas parade being done again, or Christmas yeah. pageant, and the singing, and the dancing, and the return to innocence, and you see all the toys that were lost in battle have been, you know, remade, yeah. and are, like, sort of playing around with a lot of kids, and yeah. it's and, a happy ending. Well, I guess the last scene is at the gravesite yes. where... L. Cool J announces his intentions to just become a normal soldier. Yeah. <laughs> um... And, and, like, yeah, he disappears. Like, he runs off into the field after yeah. saying his goodbyes. And, like, all of a sudden he's disappeared. And it's clear, like, he's sort of put on, I don't know, grass and wheat, fields of wheat uh, camo. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joan Cusack ha- struggles to get out of the car because her motor skills are no longer any good. Clearly wearing a wig that she, like, is adjusting. Yeah. Oh, so this is Paris. <laughs> And, yeah, what else happens at the end? And then during the credits, the grave is flying through the air for some reason. I think I, the other thing at the end is that we know that Robin, the, the two Robins are together. <sighs> yeah. And Leslie is now in charge of the toy factory. Yeah. And, you know, his father's grand schemes for, like, him coming into his own by doing battle with his, mm. the evil uncle has paid off. Mm. Yeah. And he's prepared. Well, I think we're at the part of the show, Paul, where we ask you, do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? Toys, what do you think? Yeah, I'm a firm buy it. Uh, in fact, I think... I'm shocked. I, yeah, right? <laughs> I only know every part of this movie to the microscopic detail. Uh, yeah, and I think I even have a DVD of this movie at my parents' house. So, 100% buy. Um, okay, that doesn't surprise me. I think I'm going to say rent it. I'm I'm conflicted on this one. Uh, I, I didn't grow up with it necessarily. I did watch it the one time. But 
Um, I love how it's such a big swing. Like, there's nothing safe about this movie. Everything is, like, a choice. Like, everything is big. It is a frustrating movie at times, particularly with Robin Williams' character. Like, this is one of the few Robin Williams movies that I've seen where, like, he's clearly outshined comedically Mm. by a lot of other people. Like, I'd say of the four main characters, he was kind of, like, my least favorite mm. um, a little bit. Interesting. I still enjoyed it. It was still entertaining throughout. I just, I'm just not sure if this is one that I'd revisit. And it's not one that I'd necessarily recommend to everyone. I think <laughs> I'd first have to be like, do you like weird, dark, insane shit? <laughs> uh, Lindsay, what did you think? I think I land around where Sean does. It's a rent it. Like, I had fun watching it. It's really interesting. The attention to detail, the artistry of it is really amazing. And it is pretty funny, but it's it's not something that I'm going to be re-watching. So that's where it's a rental. <laughs> I won't hold that against you guys. I, I don't know if I want to buy it and watch it all the time. No, and it's yeah. it's like impossible to watch this all the time. I mean, first and foremost because it's a two-hour film, but then yeah. I mean, it's you know we were all pretty taxed at yeah. the end of having watched this film. We needed to sort of take a a sizable break before recording. <laughs> I mean, that war scene felt like Saving Private Ryan, both in the way it was shot and also just how like yeah drained I felt afterwards. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, well, next episode, we're sort of returning to our uh, regularly scheduled programming. We're switching back over to Lindsay. What tape do you have picked out for us? I think next time we're going to watch While You Were Sleeping, starring Ooh. Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman. It's one of my favorite movies, and it should be pretty fun. We uh, just watched that for your birthday, yeah. but uh, we'll be watching it again. I don't mind. On tape. Yeah. <laughs> On tape. On tape. We did not watch it on tape for my birthday. Yeah. 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 We don't do much extracurricular uh, VHS watching. Uh, I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can hear more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast app. Uh, That's it for Tape Heads. I'm Sean. I'm Lindsay. I'm Paul. (laughs) (laughs) until next time